you've got one of these uh, pew Bibles, there's one there. You can use that one. And if you need a Bible, you're welcome to take it home. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today, especially if you're, uh, if you're a guest with us. Please feel free to take that home with you. Um, so let's begin with, with a word of prayer as we hear God's word. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for blessing us this day with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray that as you, we hear your word, that you would send us your Holy Spirit in ever-increasing measure, that we would love you, love God, and we would love the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when's the last time you took a day off from work? Uh-oh, I'm seeing some heads shaking. That's not a good sign. And, and here's how I'm defining a day off. Um, you stop all paid and, and unpaid work. Uh, you find some activity that uh, is engaging you, that is refreshing and, and renewing. Uh, you find a way to, to take some delight in, in God's creation. Now, if you're not a, a Christian, you're not believing the gospel, you might not do that, but you still find probably some way to get away from um, all of the other hubbub. And maybe that's maybe you're not a, a, a country person, so you just sit on the couch and eat a nice meal. That's still delighting in God's creation, right? I mean, you're eating food. Okay, and, uh, and last, you, you find some time to contemplate and to ponder uh, God's love. When's the last time that you, you did that? Maybe not even for a whole day, maybe half a day. Write that down, right? There's a little blank in your service folder. Uh, write that down. Put that down for me. Um, I want you to think about that just a little bit. Because uh, here's the thing, that right today, um, God says that, that we should work. That's the point of the message. And that always strikes me as a bit insane, because if ever there was a, a, a group of people I think that had work down, that probably needs more encouragement to rest than it does to work. It might be 21st century Americans, huh? Uh, so there's some amount of insanity here, at least from my perspective. Now, in, in preparing this, I was encouraged to take a look at a, an essay by a woman named Dorothy Sayers. And maybe some of you know of Dorothy Sayers. She was a uh, 20th century writer. She was a, a British lady. Uh, and she wrote an interesting essay entitled, Why Work? Uh, and in her essay, she told the story of a British surgeon who was with the army when it was deployed to World War II. Uh, and then he came back from the war and he was working and living among the men after the war, uh, watching them return to jobs and life uh, in Britain. And, and now this is after the war, remember? So this is what he said he noticed about the men when they came back from the war. He said, What's happening today is that nobody works for the sake of the thing they do. He said the result of the work is only a byproduct of their real aim. The real aim for everybody in work is money or status. And so doctors are practicing medicine not primarily to relieve suffering, but to make a living. Uh, the patient is something that happens along the way. Lawyers accept briefs not because of their passion for justice, but because this is the profession that enables them to live. Right, so here's this surgeon, he's seeing all of this going on in his culture on him, and that's how he, he reflects on it. That's what he's assessing about it. Maybe you agree with his assessment, maybe you disagree with it, maybe you maybe you think you know that, that the lawyers and the doctors weren't really working for money and status, but they really were working for their patients and their clients. Uh, but the reason he's got this assessment is because of a comparison that he was doing with the men when he saw them in World War II. 
right, during World War II, when he saw the soldiers, he said this. He said, the reason why men, soldiers, found themselves so happy and satisfied in the army was for that was that for so many of them, for the very first time in their lives, they were doing something not for the sake of the pay, which was miserable, but for the sake of getting something done that really needed doing. Right? He said that the, the men were happy basically because they were doing something that actually needed to get done. Now that was his assessment. I don't know, maybe you agree with it, you know, maybe you don't, but did you catch that, right? What she's telling us is that, that the reason that people are, are, are satisfied, content, that they're happy with their work uh, has, has very little to do with how much rest we do or we don't get. Uh, and it has a, a lot to do with what's our motivation for our work, with why we're working. And in Paul, St. Paul today in 1 Thessalonians, he's going to tell us the same thing there. He says that the reason people are satisfied with their work has almost nothing to do uh, with how much rest you do or don't get, although you do need some rest, and it has everything to do with, with why we're working. And so let's, let's take a look at what Paul says today and see if we can get our work right. Now, we're taking a look here, particularly we'll start with, with verses 9 and 10. Uh, Paul starts there and he says, it sounds like he's talking about love. Right? He, he starts talking about love a little bit. And, and he basically, he says this, uh, he says, now about love, I don't need to write to you anymore. Right? You've got this love thing down. You're all taught by God how to love and, and you're doing a fine job of loving but then he goes on and he says, and we urge you, brothers, to do it, to do love more and more. Uh, and so what Paul is, is saying here is that there is very much a connection between our love for people and how we work. There's a connection there. And, and to draw it out for you even a little bit more precisely, or another point on how Paul connects love and our work at the very beginning, verse 9, he said, uh, about love for one another, about your love for one another. Uh, now, in, in Greek, the Greeks have a bunch of different words for love. You know, when we say, I love ice cream, and I love you, and God loves the world, we have to use all the same word, right? And we just change our tone of voice to mean something different. Uh, in, in Greek, they have different words for all the different kinds of love. I, I think I've read as much as 13 different kinds of different words for love. And Paul, when he says here, love one another, he uses one word for love. And then when he gets down to make it your ambition, what he very literally says is he says, love the honor of rest or love the honor of a structured life. So Paul says about your love for one another. And then he gets down and he says, love the honor of rest. He's all talking about love. Right? There is a, there's a deep connection between the honor of work and the honor of one loving one another. Right? And so what Paul is saying is, I, I want you to love more and more, and here's how you do it. How do you do it? You, you get to work. We, we love people by, by getting to work. And so a Christian should be saying, I don't want to be a drain on my community I want to invest in my community. And a Christian will be saying, I'm not going to be a drain on the common good. I'm going to be investing in the common good. I'm going to be benefiting and helping out the common good. Uh, so therefore, right, you can, 
you can get a job in your life that makes a great deal of money but doesn't help people, or you can get a job in your life that that makes a great deal of money and helps people. And if you have to choose, that the first practical principle that you should use to make a choice is is get a job that that helps people, right? Get a job that helps and, and works out for the common good. Um, get a job that takes care of other people. This is the first piece of biblical teaching on what it means to do really good work. And I, I realize that we have to be uh, careful about this, right? Or we have to be a little sensitive about this because a lot of people will hear that they should work for the good of others or, or work for the common good and they'll think, you know, I don't, I don't do anything good. I'm a mechanic for the, for the county. Um, I push carts around Meyer. How can I be working for the common good? Maybe I should give this up and I should go drill wells in Africa. Uh, that would really help the common good. But, you know, then think about that just for a second. Of course, the, the, I can go to Meyer and I don't have to worry about driving into carts in the parking lot and I can get in and out of the store and I can get a whole week's worth of groceries in barely an hour and I, I can drive home all very safely because somebody takes care of the carts at Meyer. Uh, you know, work that is for the common good, work that is good, doesn't have to be high-paying. Uh, it doesn't have to be high-skilled. Work that's for the common good is, is good work. All right, so the first thing that Paul is trying to tell us here is that work really is an expression of love. That's the, the first practical guideline that he's trying to get across to us. It's, it's an expression of love. And when you work, then you can love the people around you. The second thing, uh, the second thing is maybe a little bit more subtle, um, but it's here too. Again, though, the translation doesn't really help us. Now, if you're looking at this, this verse 11, what Paul says there very literally, okay, uh, if you've got the English in front of you, you're going to read, it says in verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a, a quiet life, right? You should mind your own business. What Paul very literally says is he says, make it your ambition to be unambitious or seek restfully, seek relentlessly to be still, right? Strive for quiet, strive for rest, right? Paul is very literally telling these Thessalonians, work harder to chill out. There, there's, there's some kind of thing going on here. This is, this is so fascinating, right? Do you get this? Uh, Paul is saying to them, hey, there, you you know you need to to find some way to to chill out, um, because now Paul is is not in, in trying to tell them make it your ambition to to mind your own business. Uh, Paul is is not telling Christians that they shouldn't care for one another. You know, if I'm going to care about you and your life, I need to know what you're up to. I need to know that you're going to the doctor. I need to know how your job is doing, all of that kind of stuff. Right? And so Paul is, is not telling them to not ask about that. It helps to know a little bit about the historical context. See, what was happening, uh, at least as far as we can tell, very often with the, with the major households in the ancient Greek cities is that the, the men, the heads of the households, would ask their slaves and their wives to basically run everything, to, to take care of all the work. And they would go and sit uh, in the city square all day and they would talk politics and economics. And they would just discuss what should be getting done. And so there was this, this sense of ease, un unease. There was a relentlessness. There was a boredom to all of the people. They were constantly anxious about what should be getting done in life. 
uh, instead of just doing what was right in front of them. And, and Paul wasn't then not telling them to, to ignore each other, to stop caring about each other. He was, he was telling them, you should find an outlet uh, to, to use your work properly. But there was this restlessness, right? This, uh, this lack of quiet that they needed to, to work at. Now, this is really interesting, I think, and maybe you think it is too, because here's, here's Paul writing to some first century Christians, and, and they're, they're probably not working all that much, and there's this sense of restlessness, there's this unease, there's this lack of quiet among them that Paul is pointing out. Then you can think about us, 21st century Americans, and, and we've got way too much work, right? We're, we're, some of us are working 60, 70 hours a week. It's way too much. There's still this sense of, restlessness, this unease. What's Paul showing us here? Isn't he he's showing us that, that real work needs real rest? That, that good work needs real rest? There's a kind of rest that is deep in life, that's deeply built into the, the fabric of the universe. That's what God did when he created the world. He said, uh, six days, you know, I'm going to work. And then on the seventh day, I'm going to take a Sabbath. I'm going to rest. And there's this rest that's built into the very fabric of the universe that if you and I don't have, there's going to be a sense of unease. There's a sense of, of restlessness always. You know, maybe you've seen this in some people in your lives. There's all kinds of sad uh, examples of it. One of the ones that sticks out to me is maybe some of you have seen uh, Chariots of Fire. You've seen Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, right, tells a story of two great runners after World War II in England. And uh, one of the runners, he's a professional runner, his name is Harold Abrams. And in one of the scenes, he is sitting, getting a massage so that he can go and run in just a minute. And as he's getting a massage, he's talking to his friend, right? And this is a snapshot of his face from that moment. And here's what he says as he's getting this massage. He says, you, my friend are my most complete man, a content man. That's it. That's your secret, contentment. I'm 24, and I don't know it. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. I'm scared. I've labored. I've rowed. I've bullied for this day, day in and day out, and for what? I'll raise my eyes, and I'll look down that corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? I'm scared. Right, what, what is he he's telling us? He's, this man was a man who, who couldn't run. He couldn't live his life, do his life's work from a place of rest. He was constantly worried about proving himself to all of the people around him, prove that he had worth and he had value and he should be accepted and respected. And he was scared. How many people work without any real rest? Look what God promises us at the end of this section. God God says to Paul, do all of this so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and that you will not be dependent on anybody. What Paul wants to tell us, what Paul is telling you and me here, is that this is what the gospel does for us. The gospel is going to do two things for you and I in our work. 
It makes us have respect, and it makes us independent. And, and, and wouldn't you like that? How many of us have both respect and independence from our coworkers, from our communities, from the people around us? See, this is how it works, right? So first, the gospel in, in Jesus Christ says that God loves you and he accepts you and he forgives you no matter how many failings and wrongdoings and mistakes that you have made in your life, right? You and I have all messed up so many things and yet God still accepts us and he approves of us. And all of a sudden, when you hear that message, now you don't need to make all of the people around you respect you and accept you. You have somebody who is so greater so much more powerful, who already accepts you and loves you. It doesn't matter if your boss, your coworker, or somebody else can't instantly approve of you. You've got the respect of the greatest power in the world. And when that starts to change you, then the people around you will start to respect you. They'll notice that in you. They'll see how much greater that can influence your work. But the gospel also says something else to you, right? The gospel says that you are free from sin and death and the devil. And so you are the only person in the whole world who is truly independent. You don't need money and everything else in this life. You don't need to depend on it. You've got what really matters. And when you've got that kind of independence, now you're going to finally live in a way that lets people look at you and say, wow. That person's not working just to get money anymore. That person's not working just to be accepted. That person's not working to prove anything. They're free. Friends, this is what the, the gospel does for you and me. It, it will totally change the way that we work. Are you, are you teachers? Are you mechanics and bus drivers, and security guards and everything else? who are also just happen to be Christians, right? And you come to church on Sunday? Or are you bus drivers and mechanics and security guards and farmers and, and everything else who not only can share the good news of Jesus at your work when you have the, the very rare chance to do that, but that you have been so deeply shaped by that gospel that you can live in a way that gains respect while you're independent. Who wouldn't want to be like this? Who wouldn't want both independence and respect from the people around him? Wouldn't, wouldn't this be the very best thing in the world? This is what it means when God says to you in Jesus Christ that not only every single thing that you have, have done wrong at your job, all of the failings and the mistakes are forgiven, but that no matter how you perform, God loves you, and you are important to him. You matter to him. You are vital to him in his kingdom. This is the only way that you and I are going to get real, revitalizing, sustaining rest. Now Jesus can say to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You don't need the, the pleasure. You don't need to please anybody around you. You have only one person to please. The God in heaven. And he is more pleased with you than you could ever imagine. So do something. Get some rest. When you realize that the only person you have to please is God, and he is more pleased with you than you could possibly imagine, you know what you can do? You can finally take a day off. 
Right? You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You would take a day off, go take a walk in the park, come take me out for dinner, uh, and then we'll have a beer. It'll be a nice time. You can take that day off because you have nothing to prove to anybody. And you know, that's what Eric Little, the guy who ran in Chariots of Fire, figured out. Uh, maybe you know the, the end of his story, right? It's really kind of cool. Uh, this man, Eric Little, he says, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I think how awesome that is. Here's a guy who is doing what God made him to do. He's using his skills, his gifts, and his abilities in the very best way possible. And every time he runs, he stores up in heaven what really matters. The pleasure and delight of the eternal God. So work to please God and get some rest. Can we pray for that? Heavenly Father, thank you today for this encouraging message that we don't have to please the people around us, but we do need to, to work to love them. It's a way that we show love in our lives. First, we want to ask for your forgiveness because, because we spend probably way too much of time in our life um, working for ourselves, working to get money or a, a better status. Even if we have a job that cares for other people, we, we're busy working so that we can feel better about ourselves. Um, forgive us for all of that. And then give us hearts that love to work just to please you. And realize that we have an acceptance and approval from you that does not go away no matter how we perform at our jobs. But we can enjoy your, your pleasure all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name.